0: As Christ followers and believers in the truth of the Word of God, we have to bring multiple perspectives into a chapter like this. When we, we start, we come from the broadest perspective that 1 Peter 1.20 says that before he spoke anything into existence, before the heavens even existed, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit decided to... Create human beings in their image to worship and to serve God and to be a part of his kingdom knowing that that cost Jesus Christ his life so the investment and the value of what he does from Genesis 1 1 to the new heaven and the new earth is a a pretty important decision a pretty heavy decision Um, Within that, we step inside a little bit and we realize that according to the word of God, he loves everyone. He desires a relationship with everyone. He forces no one. He invites everyone. So in his sovereignty and his omniscience, he has put together a plan where from the beginning of Genesis 1:1 to the end of the millennium this plan is orchestrated without violating free will so that the most people possible will enter his kingdom now we come in a little bit farther from that and we realize that he is a just god and a holy god and although he forces no one and he gives complete freedom for the choice in each person's life, what he cannot give any person is the outcome of their choice. That was decided before the creation of the world. So much of Scripture explains the difference between those two choices as part of God's gospel. Um, In his plan to reach as many people as possible, there is a seven-year period of wrath on earth where, where percentage-wise it is likely that the, the highest percentage of people coming to Christ over any seven-year period in the history of man will be the tribulation. It is also a time where the choice will be made clear and it is a time where the outcome of both choices will be, will be proclaimed by God himself through 144,002 witnesses through angels and through followers of Christ the apostle Paul is the only person that elaborates both on church eschatology and Israel's eschatology which we are grafted into and he says in 2nd Thessalonians 1 6 God is just He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And then he explains when this will happen. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is describing the tribulation there which is the culmination of the times of the Gentiles is the return of Jesus Christ. That is the anticipated kingdom of Israel ever since Abraham was promised in Genesis 15 a territory where Christ would once once reign will one day reign. So ever since Genesis chapter 15, Israel has been anticipating the king and his kingdom. And Paul says that the scales will be balanced when he returns to give relief to those who have said yes and to punish those who say no. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we look into your plan, we look today in a time of three and a half years where hundreds of millions of people will come to your son as master and Lord and be saved. And everyone who refuses will see the consequences with their own eyes. Lord, help us to understand the love and the heart of you father and of your son to reach as many people as possible while remaining holy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come into Revelation chapter 8 in, in a time frame where we have had the first chapter is John writing what he sees in obedience to the first third of um, Revelation 1:19, and then he writes what is now. He writes seven letters to seven churches. The book of Revelation is written to those seven churches, and it is written, as we read in chapter 22, to all churches. This is a letter to churches, just like epistles were written to churches. So we see the rapture happen in the first few verses of chapter 4. John experiences the rapture himself as he's seeing God's future plan. And then in chapters 4 and 5, we see the Father, Christ, the Holy Spirit, the elders who've been raptured, four living creatures, and hundreds of millions of angels surrounding the throne, inviting Christ to come to the throne. Then we see Christ in chapter 5 come to the throne, hold out his hand, and his father puts the title deed to the earth in his hand, saying... He is the only one who can do this. And in Revelation chapter 6, the seals that only he can break, he breaks one. And we see the first seal judgment. He breaks another, he breaks another. He breaks the fifth seal, and and it seems obvious that we have just reached the midpoint of the tribulation with the fifth seal, and underneath the altar in front of the throne, John sees the martyrs of the first half of the tribulation praying to the Father above them, how long until you avenge our deaths? And he says, wait a little bit longer until the full number of your fellow servants have come in. So there is... Enormous numbers of people who are killed in the second half of the tribulation. After John gives us a number of 100 million angels, he says the people that are, are saved out of this great tribulation, the second half, no one, John says, can count. So many people are born again, testifying, and killed for testifying that you can't count them and we come into Revelation chapter 8, we are well deep now into the tribulation's second half, the great tribulation described by John in chapter 7. So the the things that we see in chapter 7 are the result of what is happening in these judgments in chapter 8, and we see that they're going to escalate In effect, by the time there are seven seals, the seventh seal is seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet is seven bowls. So when you think of it that way, the trumpet judgments, when they are concluded, Christ will return. Because the seventh trumpet is the seven bowls. And it is during the bowl judgments that Christ comes to Armageddon. So we are moving rapidly towards the return of Christ as we come into chapter 8 and verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So we are being told here, this is literally going to happen, that there will be a pause. We have seen terrible things happen to this point. We've seen the fourth seal kill a quarter of the earth's population. We will see in... The woes, which are part of the trumpets, that there is one point where four angels and 200 million soldiers take a third of the earth's population in one judgment. If you do simple math and you take a fourth out, you have three-fourths. If you take a third of that three-fourths, you have half. So in two judgments alone, half of the world's population will be gone. As a result. And it is because, as Paul says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled when He comes. So, when He opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. It would have seemed clear on earth by this time, we're well into the second half, that it can't get any worse. It's going to be so much worse, it is similar to a tornado. I haven't been directly in one, but I've been close to several, and dead silence because the air is actually blowing up and down before a tornado hits and you can't feel the air. And there's that dead silence before that freight train sounding comes. So this is, I'm not saying this is a tornado, but that's the closest thing that I can compare it to. Verse two, and I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So verse 1, as he opens the seventh seal, verse 2, we see seven angels who stand before God coming forward and they're given seven trumpets. And we see this increase um, and the importance of the increase for the gospel. Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 8. We'll be there a few times. If you studied the plagues, In like Exodus 7 through Exodus 12, and you look at the judgments in the tribulation, you see how closely they parallel each other. But there's a reason for the progression of judgment on earth. It's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. It is to show who is in charge. It is to show the sovereign power of Christ who is sovereign over the tribulation. Not one thing will happen in the tribulation that isn't ordained by the one who opens the seven seals. So we see what happened in Israel. If we we rewind a little bit to chapter 8, we see what happened initially is the Jews said, Moses, you're just making trouble. It's worse now that you're here. Why don't you just leave? And then... The the water is turned into blood and and frogs cover the land and plagues come on the earth and the Jews realize this is God. And then a little while later, the Egyptian people are starting to say, this is God, not a God, not one of the gods. This is the one they call Yahweh. So we come to the judgment of the gnats in verse 16 of chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But... When the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, this is the Janus and Jambres we read about in the New Testament, they could not. God has allowed them as magicians to recreate an illusion that they're doing the same thing Moses does whenever he does something. And God says, that's it. I'm going to cover the ground with gnats. You're going to try to call up your conjuring and it will become obvious. And look who it becomes obvious to, verse 18. But when the magicians tried to produce the gnats by their secret arts, in other words, magic, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. By the time the gnats are poured on the earth, I don't know if any of these magicians will be in heaven. It's certainly possible. What what I do know is that they know who is bringing these judgments. And by the time they leave Egypt, there's only one person in the story that doesn't believe this is God, and it's Pharaoh. And it's not because he doesn't believe there is a God. It's because he will not accept a God to be over him as we go back to Revelation 8. So as we see the progression in Revelation, we see the same purpose as Exodus. By the time the tribulation reaches its climax, there's nobody on earth saying, there is no God. This isn't God. They're all saying it's God. And that's what happened in Egypt many years earlier, and that's what's happening as we come to verse 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer. This is an important theological verse. It's easier to understand than chapter 5 and verse 8. Um, because the reason you see in Catholicism and other Orthodox religions, and they're, they're shaking these um, censer or these golden things full of incest is because they believe that, that that's actually prayers going up to heaven. This is one where John explains that, no, it's a picture of that. He says with, He says he has given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. So it's a picture. Incense was back in Exodus given as a picture of prayers rising to God. We see in Luke chapter 1 where it is the, the offering and the sacrifice of incense that Zachariah is in when he's praying to God and the people are praying outside because they know this is prayer time that an angel comes to him and says you're going to have a son. I'm answering your prayer. So when we see the the martyrs under the altar in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, their prayers are also rising up with this. And John says he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. On the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer. Filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. There came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So I've got in your notes there we see a picture of religion and a picture of genuine faith. It's a picture of prayers coming and if they're making it to the Father, they're coming through the Son. And if they're making it through the Son, they're coming with people who have the Holy Spirit. And if they're making it to the Father, they're coming to him as a pleasing aroma. And then we see this picture of religion where he takes the censer that is maybe understood, he fills it with fire, and he throws it to the earth. And the impact of this censer hitting the earth causes this storm of lightning and thunder. And then the earth actually shakes as a result of this censer hitting the earth. Reading on. Verse 6. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down to the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. I don't remember the exact year, but Terry and I went to the Smoky Mountains after a, a thousands and thousands of acre fire took place close to Gatlinburg, and we got out and we walked around, and it, it was the trees were still black. Many of them were coming back. Um, everything on the ground was fresh and new. It wasn't like typically walking through a forest. All the dead logs and all the leaves and grass and everything was completely gone. But this judgment is this throwing down fireball like a meteor that hits the earth. And it's, it's hard to imagine. I've tried myself this week. These are literal events with literal truth to imagine a fireball hitting the earth. And we just take one of the... Descriptions here. There is no grass on earth. In other words, this is so intense. What happens when they have a firestorm in um, California? Some of the amazing things about God, some of those most majestic trees, their, their seed pods will only open with a fire. Did you know that? That God... Design some of the most majestic trees on earth so that they can only have more trees if there's a fire. So they have acorn or pine cones, if you would call them that, that are sealed shut, that rain and death and nothing can happen until fire hits them and they burn and they open up and they drop their seeds and trees grow. Um, so there's a cleansing of the earth that is happening here that it is so intense that you have all of these charcoal trees standing. A third of them are completely gone. And there is no green grass. I think one of the reasons that if if you look politically, um, all urban areas are left wing. And I think part of their disadvantage is they don't see creation enough. So in Psalm 19, David is trying to explain to us that God wrote two books, a visual book and a written book. So in Psalm 19, they take two psalms, and in our Bible, it becomes one psalm. So the first half of it begins, the heaven declares the glory of God. The sky proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And the second half begins... The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of of his statutes are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And David puts those two together. In the city, they only have one because it's all asphalt, skyscrapers, and cement. And I think it's a disadvantage to wake up seeing that every day. I think it's a disadvantage in a city to want to read what he said when you can't see what he made. So Romans 1.20 says that he will hold all people accountable through creation alone. And I think it's, it's why at Shinar, when we go back to the Tower of Babel, God commanded the people scatter throughout the earth. And they said, no, we're going to build a city. So they built a city called Shinar. And in that city, they said, let's build a tower and let's be like God and build a tower up to him. So I think that when we see this picture of no green grass for you and I in rural Mendota, Illinois, that's hard to imagine. There are people in Chicago and New York who never see green grass, and I think they are at a disadvantage. Verse 8, the second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze, another huge comet, a star possibly falling from the sky, a portion of it was thrown into the sea. A third, we see this repeated in, in the trumpet judgments, this portion that is a third, a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So I have in your notes there that um, the most, or the the 71% of the earth is oceans and seas. I think 96% of the water on earth is the oceans. And a third of everything in them, which is 71% of the earth, dies. And the sea, it's not hard to imagine the sea turning into blood because we can't fathom. They find a new species, I'm told, in the ocean every day that they've never seen before. And imagine if, you know, the 99% of all life is in the oceans and a third of that floats to the surface dead, what the ocean will appear to be like at that time. The stench, the blood, the, um, just a, a gruesome picture to even imagine as that comet or what asteroid or whatever it is hits the oceans and tsunamis would have to be a part of that if it came with that kind of force. Verse 10, we come to the third angel. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the star is wormwood a third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that became bitter in your notes there i wrote the most precious commodity on earth is not gold it's not silver it's it's none of those things it's not diamonds It's water that you can drink. And with this judgment, one-third of drinking water on earth will now kill you. There are places, water, God could just shut off water so quickly. If if the Colorado River, if if somebody dug a tunnel to, to derail that river, they would have no water in California, in the entire state. The entire state relies on water from the Colorado River as their only fresh water supply. Um, if If a city has contaminated water like they did in Flint, Michigan, they had to bring in all their water from outside the city. And here with this judgment, similarly to Exodus, again, if we go back there in Exodus 7, similarly to what he did with the Egyptians, when they were rebelling against him, as we see one of the early plagues where drinking water um, is threatened. So in, in Egypt, unlike us where we have wells, they rely primarily on the water from the Nile River. Verse 14 of Exodus 7, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take your hand in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord." With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile. It will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and the canals, over the ponds and the reservoirs, and they will turn into blood. Blood was everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. So the sovereignty of God demonstrates his power by taking the most precious commodity of water, and one of the judgments in Egypt is wherever you go for a drink tomorrow, you will find undrinkable water. So the Nile River became blood, the... The streams became blood and people were probably running to their houses like we did in um, YK2000 or whatever it was called. and, And we're putting water bottles and we're hiding them in our basements like we did with toilet paper and other things recently. And they would have gone in there and they'd open a bottle and the blood would have been in it. And they would have gone to their refrigerator and the bottles that they put and blood would have been in them. So the magicians imitated this to some extent, but it wasn't close to what God did. God did in Egypt what he is doing here, that people are going to go for a drink, and wherever they go, it's going to be better. He did that with Jews. So wormwood is very similar in Greek to mara in the Hebrew. So the, the Jews would have poison water multiple times because they're, turning against God and God is bringing this judgment to them turn to Jeremiah chapter 9 these words are written shortly before Judah is taken into captivity because of their disobedience so this is late in the life of Judah kind of like we're late in the life of the church And judgments are coming on Judah. And God is crying out to anyone that will listen. Anyone who is willing to understand God. We pick it up in verse 12 of Jeremiah chapter 9. Who is wise enough to understand this? Who has been instructed by the Lord and can explain it? Why has the land been ruined? And laid waste like a desert that no one can cross? The Lord says, It is because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them. They have not obeyed me. We see that word more and more. It's, it's everywhere in the New Testament um, that obedience is what God accepts by his followers. So he says, I set before them. They, they have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed the stubbornness of their hearts. That's what we're studying in Romans 2. Romans um, They have followed the Baals as their ancestors taught them. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. See, I will make this people eat bitter food and drink poisoned water. So God poisoned the water in Judah and in Jerusalem because of the disobedience and the rejection of the law by the Jews. And it is similar in Exodus many years earlier and it is similar in the tribulation that in order for us to know God is God, He's going to take away the things that we need the most. So we go back to Revelation chapter 8 verse 12 The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck A third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. We will see the progressions get stronger and more wrath filled and we will see really the increase of this until we get to the bold judgments where it's completely black for days. I always, in youth group, I would ask people, are you afraid of the dark? Of course, teenagers say, no, I'm not afraid. Yes, you are. Everybody's afraid of the dark. We are. It says in Revelation 16, when he makes it black for multiple days, people are literally chewing their tongues because they're so scared. They're terrified. And and if, if you're not afraid of the dark, maybe be in a brownout in a city sometime. And... Tell me if you're not afraid of the dark, but it is built within us that Jesus is the light for a reason. So John says in John 3, 18, that everyone who believes in him is not condemned, but everyone who does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then the next verse he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but he says that People hated the light because their deeds were evil. And he says that everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done, they have done in the sight of God. Evil loves darkness. So if Chicago, Illinois is still a city, where sometimes 70 people are shot in a week end like in two days they had a weekend re- recently where 72 people 54 people got shot in one day in chicago turn the lights off in chicago think about that every christian before the tribulation has been raptured every christian organization is gone and God turns the lights off. Imagine what that would be like. People that you would fear are scared. It would be so bad to have a lack of light. Think of how terrifying that would be. Turn to Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. They probably all locked their doors and were afraid. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. I don't think we realize, turn to Revelation 16, that similarly to Egypt, now that we're in the trumpet judgments, coming to the bowl judgments, these judgments are being specific it's hard for me to imagine that you could have a line in Egypt where it would be pitch black and lit. But it's even harder for me to imagine how is he going to do that in the tribulation? Because there won't be a Goshen and an Egypt. There will be people scattered who are saved and people who aren't. There, it, there will be specific where, where he basically comes from Babylon and in the second half of the tribulation he comes to Jerusalem and he sets up his throne there. And Jesus says in Matthew and Mark and Luke that, um, and in Revelation 12, every Jew has to get out of Jerusalem. So grand central headquarters, if you want to call that, the citadel of the Antichrist will be Jerusalem during the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. So Jerusalem will be completely invaded by the Antichrist and his kingdom. So it may point specifically to that, but as we read about it in Revelation 16, what is part of the seventh trumpet, which is the seven bowls, we probably only have a few days left at this point, if not hours in the tribulation. And we read verse 10, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and listened to the stubbornness. They refused to repent of what they had done. So the most terrifying of feeling things is darkness without end. And they're literally chewing and their tongues are bleeding and they're, they're just completely, Jesus says that their, their stomachs are hurting. They're, they don't know what to do. They're literally being crushed by this darkness and they're crying out to get God. We reject you. We reject you. We will not repent. They know who he is by now. They have heard the gospel by now. It is the same in 2022. There just isn't writing about it. So we we live in a nation who is saying, we don't want you, God. We don't want your babies. We don't want your families. We don't want to call what you made what you called it when you made it. We're saying the same thing. The the world that we live in are saying the same thing. And people are refusing to repent and to follow God. And as we see at the end of the bold judgments, as they are dying, they are cursing him and screaming out at him. As we go back to Revelation chapter 8, Verse 12, again, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and the third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. So we began this chapter and you can see with what is happening here, the, the increase in the intensity, which is why? So people will turn to Christ the intensity that has now becoming directed on everyone who is cursing him, everyone who is refusing to repent, and these judgments increase. So we begin well into the second half of the tribulation in chapter 8 with heaven is silent for half an hour. God's kingdom itself is troubled by what he needs to now do. And then we go through the fourth trumpet judgment, and before the fifth comes, there's another pause. And John sees this eagle flying across the sky. Verse 13, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, woe, to the inhabitants of the earth because the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. So the eagle is telling John, it's going to get a lot worse. It's not just going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. So the three woes are trumpets five, six, and seven. So you have there in your notes, kind of a diagram to understand that, that the first woe is Revelation 9, 1 through 11, when the fifth trumpet is blown. And to understand this, we will see as we study this next week, I believe that there is five months left in the tribulation when this trumpet is blown because what happens is God gives Satan a key. In Genesis 1-1, this would have happened almost immediately that God created angels, including Lucifer. In Isaiah chapter 14, about verses 12 through 15, and Ezekiel chapter 28, there's a stretch in the middle of that chapter that explains that when he created these angels, that Satan himself... Lucifer himself came forward and is like, That's not good enough to be an angel. I won't be like him. And we will learn in Revelation 12, we learn from the Gospel of Luke quite a bit about this. There's two things we learn from Luke is Satan's, Jesus saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning, and he's describing Satan's being cast out. Also in Luke, Luke is the only one. Thank God for Luke. And it's not because he's better than Matthew or Mark, but he's a Gentile. So he doesn't assume we know things that we don't know. So when he comes to the man that is legion, that is filled with many demons, and Jesus casts them out, and the demons come before Jesus, we know who you are, son of man. Please don't throw us in the abyss. Throw us in pigs instead. So demons that are above the surface of the earth Know that there is a holding place under the earth where the most vile demons have been kept since Genesis 1:1. With five months left in the tribulation, Christ hands Satan a key and he opens it up and they come out. And we will see in this trumpet that so many of them come out that they blacken the sun and they sting people like scorpions for five months that's the first woe that the eagle is talking about in your notes there the second woe is Revelation 9 12 through 21 and this is four angels that are by the Euphrates River that are waiting for this moment and when this moment comes, these four angels will dry up the Euphrates River. Why are they going to do that? Daniel chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. The Antichrist is troubled by what he hears from the east. And from the east, in the sixth seal, comes an army of 200 million walking across the Euphrates River, headed for Jerusalem. And initially, this army is so enormous they're not happy with the Antichrist and they want to destroy the Antichrist. There's a war in a sense, a, a turmoil there and then they all join together with the Antichrist. But with this judgment, a third of the earth will die. So this river being dried up and these, this army just walking in across the Euphrates, moving west towards Jerusalem, they are going to arrive there and the the tumult and the war that they're going to bring to the earth is going to kill a third of the earth's population. This is the second woe that the eagle is talking about. The third woe is Revelation 15, 1. The seventh trumpet is blown and there's a proclamation from heaven. And then we go into Revelation 16, verses 1 through 21. The whole chapter is the third woe, the seventh trumpet, the seven bowls. And by the time this trumpet is blown, there's only probably days or hours left. So these judgments will come rapidly. Things like scorching you with heat so that boils are all over your body and then taking water away from you. Imagine what that would be like. How long you got left then? Jesus comes in the midst of those judgments. Um, turn to Revelation 9. If we already read in chapter 16, but if you just look ahead in verses 20 and 21 of verse 9, you see a similar picture in these woes. Um, chapter 9, verse 20 The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, which is drugs, which is greatly increasing in the United States because we welcome them into the United States from the South. Their sexual immorality or their thefts. So we're seeing the dark side there. If, if we went back to Revelation 7, we're, we're seeing this exact same time period where so many people are choosing Christ that you cannot, no one, John says, could count them. So there is a clear sorting out here. There's a sense of if you tried to put this into a church service, you could say, "Stay here and die, or follow Christ." That's what the angels are going to be saying. They're going to say, um, they're going to say to the people that if you receive the mark of the beast and you choose to follow him.